We're going to be talking about the king today because this is the beginning of Passion Week. And, um, you know, there's a lot of things. I, you know, I, I prepare a lot of different things and I have different thoughts throughout the week. And I think like, okay. So I've been reading all the Passion uh, story and uh, as well as the resurrection story and just looking at the life of Christ. But it begins, the, the Passion Week begins today. And what's so important about it is because the Bible spends a lot of time, if you, re, if, like if you were to look at the Gospels, especially like the Gospel of John, 50% of John is the last week of Jesus' life. From chapters 11 through chapter 21, that's half of the book. So you can tell that God places a real important focus on this week because of what God was going to accomplish through Christ. Now, the rest of the Gospels spend about one-third. So you could, you could say if you took all the Gospels together, about one-third of the Gospel is about this last week, uh, the Passion Week. And, and it begins really uh, that way. And, and so as the, if you could think of it as uh, if we were, um, let's just say we were marching up to Zion. You know, like, uh, for example, they were actually uh, singing psalms, like if you were to take the psalms of ascent, Psalm 120 through Psalm 134 are all psalms of ascent. And so, uh, so like Psalm 121, I look into the mountains from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord. They're singing that and they're marching up to Jerusalem as they sing that. And their thoughts are about God's deliverance in the past and the deliverance that God's going to bring when the king of glory comes. And so there's this, so there's this, this imagery that they're thinking about and they're thinking these thoughts as they're coming into Jerusalem and think about it, too, is as they're coming up, there's probably three or 400,000 lambs coming along with them. Now, those lambs are going to all be offered up on Passover. And in the midst of those lambs, Jesus is riding on the foal of a donkey because he's offering himself as their king, but not just the king of political king. He's offering himself as the king. And so, there's that. so that's the thing that we're going to be looking at this morning. But, but think about it. What's on their minds and what they're thinking. Don't worry about babies crying. I love babies crying. It makes me so happy when I hear babies. I wish we had a, I mean, if, if we had half, I mean, think about the babies were crying as Jesus comes into the Jerusalem. And the children are praising uh, King Jesus, and you know what? And the, and the Pharisees are saying, would you tell those kids to be quiet? And Jesus said, if I sh tell them to be quiet, the stones are going to shout out praise to God. So you, you, could, you could sense the, the, the excitement Jesus, even himself, as he presents himself here as the king uh, in, uh, in Jerusalem. So we're going to be looking at Luke 19 just for, uh, uh, for our time of just meditation today. Because it's kind of really to prepare us for um, Good Friday and everything that's going to happen on Good Friday. But there's three scenes here. And I know this is going to, it's a long passage, but I don't want you to get overwhelmed by all the details in the passage. But I want you to think about the, that, the burden that Jesus has as he comes into Jerusalem. What's, you know, when, I talk, when uh, we talk Passion Week, we usually are thinking about suffering. 
But, I, but you know, passion also has this thing of burden. The, the, you know, if I were to ask you, uh, what's your passion in life? You would say, well, you know, I really want to be, I want to do, I want to, you know, I really, I really enjoy such and such. And it's going to tell me what's your, what, what drives you. And so there's three things that's driving Jesus as he comes into Jerusalem. I mean, think about it. There's something he's passionate about. He's, he's got this, it's just, he's, he's consumed with it. And it's, in fact, he's been telling us about it. He says, my hour has not come. 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 The hour has come. And, and, and the Jews are saying this, not, on the, not, not during the Passover. This is not going to happen on the Passover. This is not going to happen on the Passover. This is not going, we, we, can't, we can't put Jesus on trial. We can't, get, we can't get rid of Jesus on the Passover. And Jesus said, yes. This is the hour. It's going to be Passover. It's going to be Passover. It's going to be Passover because God said that's what it's going to be. And when God says it's going to be that, it's going to be that. And that's, that, that's what's going to happen here. So what Jesus is doing is showing that he's in full control. Jesus is never out of control here. This is not like, oh, on a whim, Jesus, oh, well, I guess I'll just march into Jerusalem. No, he's been planning this. And we'll see that in, as, as we read this passage. But notice with me in chapter, verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethage, Bethage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet. Now, who, who lived in, by the way, who lived in Bethany? Now, there was a member, uh, he had just raised somebody from the dead that lived in Lazarus. And Mary and Martha. This is a home that was constantly open to Jesus. That it was kind of like, uh, if you were a missionary, this is the home you'd want to stay in because they just loved God and they just loved, they loved Jesus. And he sent two disciples and saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering you find a colt tied on which no one has ever set, untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So you can tell that Jesus has already pre-planned this, right? He's, he's already got this arranged. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, I, I would if they got my, got my car, um, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, these are the party poopers, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near, he saw the city. He wept over it, saying, would, would that you, even you, had known this day the things that made for peace. But how they're hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you. When your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground and you and your children within you and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered the temple and he began to drive out those who sold saying to them, it's written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. 
But they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. And I think Matthew and even John says, you know, uh, they were saying, not, not on the Sabbath. We can't do this. On, we, we can't do this on Passover Sabbath. We can't do this. And, and Jesus, of course, uh, is going to be offered on uh, the Good Friday. And so uh, may the Lord add his blessing on his word. And we're going to talk about the passion of the king. What was Jesus' passion as he goes into Jerusalem? Father, I just thank you for your word. And uh, Lord, there's, uh, Lord, when we come to you, we come to the king. And uh, how often, Father, sometimes we stop in prayer and we just say, just say the word, Lord, just say the word. Lord, there's things that uh, we come here today with. Father, we come with, uh, we carry burdens. And I'm sure the people going up to Jerusalem were carrying burdens. Uh, situations they couldn't change. Uh, people who were struggling with uh, difficulties uh, in their family and struggling with sickness and health, uh, struggling with uh, just uh, making a living. And as they're coming up, Lord, they're, uh, they're having a, uh, they're thinking, well, who can, who can help us? And as they, uh, they cry Hosanna, Lord, they're crying out uh, to you, uh, oh, save us, oh, Lord, save us now. And Father, I know for each need that's here today, I pray that you might speak into each situation. And, and Father, we know that you're king, you're sovereign. Your grace is a grace that's given to us in every need. And so, Father, you've heard the, the burdens. You've heard even the silent requests uh, that have uh, been mentioned today. And Lord, we ask that you might uh, wrap your arms of mercy and grace around those, uh, those individuals that uh, we're lifting up to you. Knowing, Lord, that um, just say the word. And, uh, Father, we know that you're able. We know that your desire is that uh, none should perish, but that all should come to a knowledge of God. And yet, uh, Father, there's many like here that turn away uh, in this uh, passage of Scripture in the temple. And yet, Father, you, uh, you were teaching the children, the blind and the weak, and so, Father, teach us this morning. We come not as uh, people who know everything. We come, Lord, as those who desire to know you better. And we pray your Holy Spirit would come in a powerful way and minister to each need here this morning. And, Father, we ask that you would uh, go before this body as, the, as a church, Lord, that the light would shine brighter and brighter and that many would come to know Christ, even in this community, through, uh, Father, the witness and testimony and the life of your people in this, this valley. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this, uh, this wonderful passage here is one that uh, I think uh, it takes just, a, just, just have a, a few things to say about the passage. But one of the things is that one of Jesus' crowning passion, he has a crowning passion. You've got crowning passion is something that just really uh, stands out. But his crowning passion really is for the glory of God. And we see that in this passage, not just because of what Jesus is doing, not just be, by his actions, but we see his crowning passion being God's glory because he's doing things according to something. He's not just doing his will, is he? Remember, he's fulfilling Scripture. 
See, that's one of the things about Jesus is that he's always doing things. He's not just, he's not just saying, well, I'm, what should I do now? Well, I think I'll do. No, he's, he's, he's everything that Jesus is doing, he's saying, thus it is written. Thus it has, you know, in other words, he knows the Old Testament back and forward. He knows the whole Old Testament points to him. The ceremonial law, the, the moral law, everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. And so as he's doing this, his crowning passion, his, the, the thing that you might, you know, a crown is something you wear, right? So his crown, the thing that really, really, you might say, the thing that really got him going was to know that his life was being lived for God's glory. It wasn't, he, he, he constantly told us how to pray, didn't he? Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus is displaying something about how he views Scripture, even as he comes, that he says this must be done and it must be fulfilled according to God's will. So he knows that, yes, on Passion, on, on Friday, on Good Friday, he's going to offer himself. He's going to be offered up as a sin sacrifice for our sins and for the sins of many. And so he's doing that. So as he comes into Jerusalem, he's aware of that. But, but, but the thing that's driving all of this is that he's doing this in accordance with God's command, God's direction, God's will. And, and, he's, and so we, you know, as we look at this text, you'll notice there's, there's, there's three emotions of Jesus being displayed here, aren't they? Jesus is coming as a king, and if you were being crowned as king, what would you be feeling? Wow, you know, that's, there's a lot of joy in the air, Right? But then all of a sudden, he looks out at the city and he begins crying, just weeping. And then all of a sudden, he comes in the temple and he's angry. And you're going like, whoa, has Jesus got a problem with his emotions? You know, he's rejoicing, he's crying, and then all of a sudden, he's angry. And you're going, what? and this is happening pretty much on Palm Sunday. And you're going like, what's going on here? What, what, what? Well, Jesus is telling, showing us that he's truly human, right? He's displaying for us what it really means to be human. That being human doesn't mean that I have one set of emotions that I live in, but that my emotions are God-given, and truly to be human is to be really to reflect Christ's humanity in the way that he displayed himself in different circumstances. I mean, three circumstances emo evoked three different responses. And that's good. You know, we should, we, as Christians, we, you know, sometimes we, we poo-poo, I want to say, I was going to use the wrong word, but it was like, that we, we kind of discount people's emotions. And yet Jesus is, very, for us, is displaying a whole variety of emotion that's good. Uh, sadness can be a good thing. Uh, you know, uh, somebody, we talk about funerals. I was at a funeral and the person, um, don't, not mentioning any names or anything, but the person wanted it to be a celebration. But funerals also are sad occasions. You lose, you lose a child. You lose someone that you loved, uh, even whether it's a mother, a father, or a, a relative. There's going to be deep sadness, there's also celebration because we're thankful if they're believers, they're, going, they're home with Jesus and there's no more suffering. But, those, but the, both of those emotions can go together. It's, I mean, it's really strange, isn't it, that somebody would say, I used to think it was crazy. Why are we calling this a celebration? Uh, but on one hand, I understand 
but because most of the funerals I went to were, were very sad occasions, but there was joy because in the midst of all of that, there was the message of the resurrection. There's hope. And, and so that made it uh, an occasion for, for rejoicing as well. But, but think about it. There's coming into Jerusalem. Jesus is saying, okay, he's going to come in on the donkey. And why did he come in on a donkey? Was it just because he's a humble king? All the kings of Israel, by the way, and the judges, if you read about the judges, they rode in, they rode in to the city on a, on a white donkey. Like, for example, when, when Solomon was crowned king, he rode in on a white donkey. That was a, that was a symbol in, in those days that this person was being, coming in and being coronated as king. So the people, in, the Jewish people, and especially the rulers, they would really get this. It's like he's claiming to be the king. And they've been saying, remember, they said, are you really? And Pilate said this, are you a king? And Jesus says, I am. He says, but my kingdom is not of this world. See? And, and then earlier when they try to get Jesus to entrap himself, he's on trial. By the way, he's, he goes through three Jewish trials and he goes through three Gentile trials. And all, and, and all of those trials, trying to get Jesus, and especially the Jewish trials, they're trying to get him to trick to say something so they can get him crucified. And are you really the son of God? He says, well, you're going to see something. Just wait. He says, but the only sign that I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. What is that? The resurrection. The resurrection proves that Jesus is the son of God. And we'll talk about that on Easter Sunday. But, but, but the point is, is that Jesus said, I mean, this event, by the way, as Jesus is walking in Jerusalem, what's on the, the Jewish mind is this. He's just raised Lazarus last week. And if you turn in John chapter 12, it says not only did they want to get rid of Jesus, they wanted to get rid of Lazarus. You know why? Proof. Get rid of the, if I can't refute the evidence, what I'm going to do, I'm going to bury it. And if we, if we got to get rid of Lazarus, we got to get rid of this guy because Jesus just raised him from the dead. The thing is, is they don't remember. See, Jesus also raised the widow of Nain's son. He's running around somewhere. And he also raised, remember, he, remember, uh, he raised a little girl from the dead. So, so, so on, they, they, and the people were coming and they wanted to see Jesus, but they also wanted to see Lazarus. It's like, you raised him from the dead. I want to talk to him. What, what was it like? <laughs> what, what, what really happened? And, and, and of course, uh, so, so, the, so the religious leaders, they're beside themselves. They're, they're basically so angry. They want to some way get rid, they want to get rid of the evidence. And the only way to get rid of the evidence is crucify Jesus and get rid and get rid of Lazarus, and, you know, and isn't that what the, how the world responds to Christians, right? See, if you can't get rid of the witness of Christians, what, you get rid of the Christian. Well, so they killed Stephen, then they killed James and Acts, and then what? And then you have, you have, you have Peter being uh, crucified. You, have, um, you also have Paul later is being killed. So you have the apostles, all the apostles lose their life, except for one, John, who lives probably to a, a really old age. And so you have, so this crowning passion of Jesus is that, look, he comes in riding on a donkey, but it was a symbolic as well of being king. He's coming in humility. He's coming not as the political Messiah. He's coming 
as the king of grace. He's coming as the one to deliver his people from their sins. And so, so Jesus is real, real I mean, that, that realization is there. And, um, and, that, and if we ask ourselves, well, why is Jesus riding into Jerusalem? Well, it's because he's saying, I'm doing this in, in, in obedience to the Father's will. This is all based on doing, being obedient. He's being the obedient servant. And he knows, and you know, in, you know God is glorified in our obedience. I mean, and our obedience, I mean, is, you know, I'm thinking about, well, you know, you know, remember um, Jesus said that uh, God is glory. He says, in this is uh, my father glorified that you bear much fruit. That's obedience. Just, just obeying God, you know. Uh, it, it doesn't always feel good, but, but the fruit of that is that it, it glorifies God. You know, somebody says, well, why, are you, wh- why do you do what you do? Well, you know, because God... God said it, and I believe it. And you're kind of like, well, that's kind of weird, yeah, but you know God is the one that's in authority in my life. He's our ultimate authority. And so, the, so, the, so Jesus has this on his mind as he's riding in. He's not riding in a white stallion to conquer like he comes. When he comes again, guess what? He rides on a white horse, right? Revelation 19. He's going to come in, and he's coming in, and what? He's going to boom on his enemies. <laughs> you know, judgment comes when the coming of Christ comes again. When Christ comes, there's going to be judgment. But right now, he comes, even now, gentle and lowly, and he says, come unto me, all you that are weak and heavy laden. And he says, I will give you rest. He's coming as this, yes, a king, but a king that's offering salvation because he's offering himself to his people. And, uh, you know, that's what this beautiful thing about Jesus is somebody tells you about Jesus and they say, you know, you know, I, I want to tell you about Jesus. But if they're going to tell you about Jesus, make sure they go to the word of God. Right. Because you, you can't really understand who Jesus is unless you go to the word of God. So if they tell you about Jesus and then they say, well, OK, yeah, don't yeah, don't worry about what it says in the Bible. You're like, well, that's not my Jesus. That might be a different Jesus. I don't want to name and claim it Jesus. I don't want to feel good Jesus. I, don't, I want a Jesus who, who it says he was wounded for my transgressions and the chastisement of my peace was laid on him. Those, that's the Jesus of, of, of Scripture here. And, but, but notice Jesus' motion as he's, as he's coming. He understands that many of those people, same people that are saying, Hosanna. The word Hosanna, by the way, just means save me, O Lord. And they're saying, save me, O Lord. That's from, uh, from Psalm 118, verse 25. The, the, those were called the, you might say, those were like the Hosanna Psalms. And, and during Passover week, Jesus would be singing. He, in fact, he would be singing Psalm 113 through 118. Those are all Hosanna Psalms. And so that's on their thinking. And Psalm 118, verse 25, talks about Jesus coming. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And then they insert the king of the Jews or the king of Israel is coming. And so they're, they're acknowledging that this is the Lord Jesus Christ that, that God has designated to be the king of Israel. And so remember when the Jews got Pilate, they tricked Pilate into trying Jesus. What did they say? He claims to be a king. And that's what got Pilate, because Pilate was just going to dismiss the case. He knew that Jesus is innocent. And they, he said, but he claims to be a king. And if somebody claims to be the king, they're against, they're against Caesar. You better talk to him. And so they're, so they're, uh, they're, they're kind of like, they're, they're playing. 
playing Pilate. Pilate thought he was in control. Guess what? He was being played. So Jesus knows that his death, think about Jesus' death vindicates God's glory. See, we would never know the glory of God's grace without Christ's death, right? We would never experience the depth of God's love without the cross. We would never experience grace of forgiveness without the cross. We would never experience uh, and never understand the justice of God without the cross. All of that's all because of the cross. It's, all of that flows out of the cross, the, the, the fact that we can say that God can say he can justify the ungodly. Why? Because Christ died for my sins and he paid for all my sins on the cross. And that magnifies God in a way that... See, when you look at the cross, you, Paul says, I boast in the cross because the cross, it kind of like, if you, if you could think of it, it's like, um, uh, it's like being in a football stadium, a dark stadium, and they turn off all the floodlights on what happens. Whoa! It's like daylight, right? Well, the cross just, it's like a thousand suns being lit up so that we can see God in his glory in so many different ways. I mean, we, I mean uh, the word was made flesh and we beheld what? His glory, glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We would never see grace and we would never see truth unless Christ, through the cross, it, he, he brings God out into the open so that you can see God in ways that you can't experience him now. Ways that, that, that magnifies it. Yes, it magnifies our sin, but it, it really shows the depths of the cross and how, how deep Christ would go to save us from our sins. And so Jesus is, Jesus is uh, I mean, more than anything else, he's, he's not thinking about, think about it, he's not thinking about the, dr- the drudgery of what the cross is going to bring. He's not thinking about the wounds. He's not thinking about the beatings and the flogging. He's not thinking about those. He's thinking about how can I bring glory to God? And that's hard to think about. If you know, I mean, he knew exactly what he was going to be facing. And he also was going to be facing drinking the cup of God's wrath. Now, all of that's a part of Jesus as he's coming into Jerusalem. He knows all that, and yet he's, he's seeking to glorify God. But then all of a sudden, a strange thing happens. Jesus looks at the city, and he's weeping. Why do you think God is weeping? Well, because I believe that one of his crying, he's crying, and I think it was not only is he, he's, he wants God to be glorified, but notice his, his crying passion here is for the lost. Here's a city that's basically saying, we don't want you to rule over us. I mean, ultimately, because it doesn't say that everybody was praising Jesus here, right? We know the disciples were. We know the children were. We know that the people in the temple, the blind and the lame that were being healed, they praised Jesus. But not everybody in the city was praising Jesus. Uh, the Sadducees and Pharisees, we know they weren't praising Jesus. And Jesus is looking, and as he draws near, it says he's we. This idea he wept is that he's he is just lamenting. He's and you're going like, what's going on here? Why is Jesus? Why is Jesus lamenting over the hardness of their hearts? He says because he basically says you are rejecting the day of visitation. What does that mean? God, here God, the day of visitation was. Think about it when. Jesus was born, Zechariah said, 
he talks about the day of visitation, that, that God was visiting his people. That's the idea of deliverance, salvation. And then later on, uh, it, you know, that, that, that idea of visitation is that it's when God, like when Jesus raised the widow of Nain's son, the people says, this is a great day of visitation. God's visited his people. I mean, they're seeing, I mean, think about it. They're seeing somebody raised from the dead. They're seeing the miracles of people being lame, walking. They're seeing people that, that were um, crippled, that they're walking. People who are blind, they're seeing. They're seeing lepers being cleansed. They're seeing all these miracles, and that's a day of visitation. Every time the Holy Spirit convicts a person, that's a day of visitation. Do you realize that? That, 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 so, so Jesus is weeping because right in the face of the evidence, it's like this. I see no evil. I think no evil. It's not evil. In the very face of the evidence, the very face of here's the king of glory who's, who's done all of these miracles, and they're saying, I don't see it. And you're going like, well, what's wrong with you? What happened? Are you blind? Can't you, can, I mean, can you, the disciples, I mean, they've been with Jesus three years, and they're going like, are you serious? He fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. And he, and he just fed 4,000 people. And he, and he walked on the water, and he told the wind to stop. He even said, he even told the wind, he says, be muzzled like a dog. He put a muzzle on the wind. And they're going like, he says, what do you mean you, see, you, don't, see, you don't see the Messiah? What, mean, what does it mean that you, you, you don't have, you, you don't see any reason to believe in Jesus? And Jesus, is, Jesus sees that and he says, the blindness of the day of visitation and you basically are asleep. It, it, it's like you, you don't see anything. And, and he's saying, oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, you crucify the prophets. You kill the prophets and you crucify the king. And they're saying, yeah, we don't see anything. I mean, um, you know, sometimes we, we think it's uh, strange that people can look at the evidence and basically say, I don't see anything. And you're going like, something's wrong. What's, ha- what's happening? Their hearts were so callous, so hard, that God's weeping over unbelief. And that tells me how should we respond, I think, even like to, in our day, think about it. I was sitting among, and this, this is, I, I'm not sure I should use this, but anyway, so I'm sitting out in this rain, in this hell, and this stadium's full of people. And we're sitting there, not for one hour, not for two hours, not for three hours, but four or five hours. And we're getting soaked, and we're getting bombarded with hell. And nobody was complaining. There wasn't a, there wasn't, a, there wasn't like, oh, I can't believe this. I went here for my grandchildren. I'm going to sit through this for my grandkids. Yes, I would. <laughs> it's amazing what you'll do for your kids and your grandkids. Well, but you know what? Jesus looks at that. I mean, think about it. You can, you can drive, drive to church and where are all the people? They're, they're sitting and they're, the whole world is being entertained to death. And there's a callousness out in the world, a callousness so hard that as the world, as, 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 I mean, think about it. The evidence is being presented. Where's it being presented? Every Sunday as the word of God is being preached, the evidence is being presented. And because of that, and yet 
what our response should be. We should weep. Shouldn't we weep over Charleston? Shouldn't we weep over Winifred Holler? I mean, you know, these are not the only people that live here. Or Chesapeake, or Marmette, or, or, or Taze Valley, or Huntington, or West Virginia, or America. We need to weep, brothers and sisters, we need to weep for the lost. You know, that, that some of the great revivals, I think of the first great awakening, the second great awakening, they began with, with weeping, weeping over the lost. And you're saying, but, but, but maybe they're not, maybe we don't know if they're elect or not. Well, nobody says we are supposed to know that. We don't know what God, who God is going to save and who he's not. We just weep over the lost. We, we weep over our children. We weep over our grandchildren. We weep over our cousins and our relatives. And, and Lord, Lord, break our hearts with the, with the burden for the lost. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's, he's not saying, oh, well, you know, no big deal. Because God desires, God's heart, regardless of what men do, God's desire and his passion is for the lost. It never, never, never is wrong for you to weep over the lost souls of those that we love and those that we don't love even. I mean, those that we kind of like, man, I just, I mean, save our president. Yes, weep over that. Save, save many of our senators and our, our legislature. You know, it's not wrong to do that. In fact, that really should be the church's, that should be the heart of the church because it's the heart of Christ. But then all of a sudden it changes again <laughs> because Jesus gets in the temple and he is pretty hot under the collar because guess what? He, what he's seeing in the temple is he's seeing a bunch of people that have moved into, you know, if you could think of the temple, is there's this big court. There's, well, there's, this, there's the temple there's the holy place and there's the holy of holies. And you always entered from the east. But then there's the court of the Gentiles. And in the court of the Gentiles, what was happening? Think about the people are coming to Jerusalem. Many of them are Gentile proselytes and they're coming into Jerusalem. And they're wanting, the only place they can go to pray is where? They can't go any further. They can't even go into the court of the women, Jewish women. They have to stand out there in the court of the Gentiles. And what's happening out there is that there's, ta there's people that are money exchangers. They're charging 6% because you had to have a coin that was from Tyre to offer in the temple. And so, they'd, offer, so they, they'd say, okay, we'll exchange that money for 6%. And if you want change back, it's another 6% on top of that. And by the way, we also, uh, since, you know, since we're in business here, we're also selling uh, animals for offering. And uh, you can get these, uh, you know, get, you know, you can get these two pigeons and it's only going to cost you 50% more to buy them here than if you brought them yourself. So there's all this commercialization of God's worship. And you want to get Jesus hot under the collar commercialized religion is one of, them, one of the things he gets hard. I mean, and in fact, it doesn't tell us here, but I think in the first account when he went in the temple, he took, he took whips. But here he just turns over. He basically, he, you know, he comes in. I think Matthew tells us that he turns the tables over. Now, what do you think the, the see, the money was going into the high priest's 
It's, it was in his treasury. <laughs> and he's starting to get a little worried here. He's going like, mm, you know, he's messing with my prophets. <laughs> he, he, who does he think he is to come in and tell us how to do worship in the temple? What gives him the right to do that? And so here's Jesus. He's, he's consumed passion about the worship. Remember when Jesus and that woman of Samaria, and, and she was asking him about worship, and he says, God wants this kind of worship. What's, he says, God is, is pursuing those who worship me in spirit and in truth. And so there's this, Jesus is, is, is just irate. This is holy anger, by the way. This is, this is the kind of anger that Jesus said is okay. In fact, uh, one of the passages, you know, that there, there's other passages where Jesus is angered. In fact, remember when he would heal on the Sabbath, what would happen? What gives you the right to heal on Sunday and, or on the Sabbath? And he, he, he would go ahead. It says that he, he looked at them in anger and he went ahead and healed. He didn't allow his anger to distract him from what? Showing compassion for people and teaching people. He didn't stop there because that's what happens in the temple. Basically, he actually turns to the people. Here are the the religious leaders, and Jesus is kind of turning away from them and just saying, look, you've got it all wrong. And he invites what? The lame and the blind. And he heals them on the Sabbath, or the, actually the day after the Sabbath. He's healing them in the temple without the permission of the high priest. And it says that he's teaching as well. He's teaching, and I think Matthew says he's teaching the children. And the children are standing in the temple. You know what they're saying? Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. God save us, God save us, God save us now. And, you're, and, the, and, the, and the high priest is going like, he's beside himself. He's ready. I mean, he's ready. To, I mean, uh, at this point, he's, he's, he, he can't wait to get his hands on Jesus. Because in chapter 20, you know what? They come to Jesus and say, what authority do you have doing this stuff? They start questioning, who do you think you are coming in here and turning over the tables and messing up our, our business? I mean, our, our worship. And Jesus says, well, let me tell you, if you answer my question, I'll answer yours. And they wouldn't answer his question, so he wouldn't answer but it's kind of interesting, I think, you know, for us, you know, living in the 21st century, is to ask ourselves, what is my day of visitation? Because every Sunday we meet, now I've heard people say, you know, I just didn't get much out of the message today. Or I didn't get this out of the singing today. I don't know. But ha- are we missing the day of visitation? Because the Holy Spirit dwells in the midst of his people. And he's the one that brings conviction to you. And if we close our hearts, in other words, if we say, I, Jesus was here and I didn't touch him. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't draw near to him. That I didn't get that opportunity to, to, to I, I just, all I could think of was that I didn't get anything out of this. In other words, the idea, that the, the idea of the day of visitation is that we think that we confuse kind of this, uh, this uh, spiritual peace with spiritual deadness. God wants his people to be convicted. What? The gospel is supposed to afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. 
I have to come out of worship having been convicted. Why? Because conviction, by the way, brothers and sisters, conviction is good. You're convicted of your sins. I mean, there's times where I'm convicted of the hardness of my heart, the dullness. I can go through and I can go through a, a service sometimes and I, I'm, I'm just going through the motion. And the problem is not in the song and it's not in the worship, it's in me. And I can go to God and I can say, Lord, thank you for your grace and mercy that you are, love me so much to convict me that that's not what you want from me. God wants you to be passionate and me to be passionate about worship, passionate about service, passionate about our walk with him, our time of devotion, our time together as we sing and as we pray and as we encourage each other. All of that is a part of God's visitation to you. When you get encouraged by a brother and sister, guess what? Praise God, that's a day of visitation. Because the Holy Spirit is dwelling in the midst of his people and he's at work right now, right? He doesn't want you to go away thinking, well, you know, can't wait for next week. <laughs> or I can't wait for that ball game that's, you know, out there. You know, I, I, some of the stuff, I mean, we have just, we, we have gotten consumed with stuff to where that all of a sudden our hearts are about this small for the presence of God. God wants to show you more of his glory and grace. Don't, don't minimize that. You know, I, I can't minimize it for myself. I mean, I mean, you say, well, you know, you're a preacher. You study these things. You know, brothers and sisters, you can study the Bible. I mean, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees had studied the Bible, and the Sadducees said there's no resurrection. And he's the high priest. <laughs> and guess what? He's looking at the evidence and the evidence is Lazarus sitting there resurrected, and he's saying, but I don't believe in a resurrection. Well, kill the evidence. And where are you going to hide it? <laughs> where are you going to hide? Where are you going to hide all the Christians in the world that God saves? I mean, why do you think we pray for the persecuted church? Because there's people out there that are trying to kill the evidence. And how do you kill the evidence? Well, you just get rid of the Christians. But you know what happens? The blood of the martyrs is the what? It's the seed of the church. It just, the church will just, you know, is persecution going to come to America? I believe it is. But guess what? It's going to make the church grow. Because true believers are not going to run. They're not going to be like, I mean, you know, think about it. You know, you, you, know, you think about uh, the betrayal of Jesus. They're not going to run. Christ's people are going to be here. And they're going to be more determined. It's kind of like, you know, wait, do you start, yeah, wait, there, you start picking, you, you start, you know, it was one thing to pick on this or that, you know, and politics is going to shift both ways, right? But one thing we do know, Jesus is king and Jesus is coming again. And when he does, guess what? That day of visitation just turned from a day of grace because today is the day of salvation. It turns from a day of grace to a day of judgment. And when that door closes, there's no more opportunity for all those lost because the message is not going out common freely. It's basically said the door is closed. 
not by my design, but, you know, Jesus said, you know, either you find refuge under the cross where all of my sins are paid for, where God's is poured out on that cross, or I hide under my, like, my juniper bush, like, like, you know, and hope that, you know, the mountains will protect me from the wrath of the Lamb, which uh, we, we read about in Revelation, I think it's chapter 12. I mean, what, what a... What a contrast here. Yes, Jesus' emotions are, are all over, you might say, they're, they're not all over the place. No, they're guided by the reality of the truth of, the God, of what he knows is going to happen. And it's governed by the scriptures. But it's a love. I mean, if you love worship, you'll love missions, right? Because missions is about praying for the lost. It's about what? It's about sharing the gospel with people who need to hear that Jesus Christ does save. And so missions flows right out of worship. Piper says this, missions exist because worship doesn't. Because it's, I mean, think about, I, I don't remember, it's been a while, but I was, I was a kid. I remember when the churches were full. There was d- deep conviction. People were there because they were convicted. You know, take the world, but give me Jesus. Now they say, well, they didn't have much of the world, but, you know, I guess I've got too much of the world. I don't pray that way the way I should. But God wants us to. But thank God for the king, right? Because when he comes into Jerusalem, he's going to take care of my problems and your problems. That's the sin problem. And he's going to vanquish. He's going to do what? He's going to crush the head of Satan. He's going to take care of the sacrifice for sin for all time. And he's going to give me Make me a new creature in Christ, right? And if we're believers, we're new creatures in Christ. That's already been done, but guess what? He's coming again, and I'm going to get a new body, and it's going to be resurrected, and I'm not going to have to fight with that sin anymore, Donnie. <laughs> that old sin that keeps nagging, you know, nagging my, uh, you know, that pride that, you know, you kind of like, well, wait, I love God, but boy, that pride sometimes gets in the way, doesn't it? You know? That's not going to be there anymore. And uh, that's a day of rejoicing. And so we're going to rejoice together as we sing this last song. I think it's, uh, in fact, I've chose this song particularly because of that. Um, Jesus, I come. It's really an invitation in a way as well. Is uh, Lord, just soften my hard heart. This is the day of visitation.